You are listening to the Living Way Church podcast. For more information about Living Way Church, go to livingwaychurch.cc. Well, today we begin a new series called Real Worship, and uh, today uh, we're talking about uh, what true worship is. It's a short uh, four-week series, uh, it's, and we're going to be talking about the kind of worship that God deserves and God desires. And uh, I'm just curious, what is worship? Somebody shout out what worship is. Anybody? Go ahead. Go ahead. Just You're welcome to make some noise here. Praise, prayer, singing to the Lord. Any anybody else? What is worship? These are good. So you know, good that you guys are answering. Music, okay. Shout it out. Anybody else? Everything. Acknowledgement. All right, these are all good. Some of you guys got it right. Some of you guys didn't. <laughs> You know, have you guys ever heard of Howard Hughes? He was a billionaire in the uh, 40s and 50s, uh, best known for some of his uh, uh, inventions, uh, lar- one of the largest planes ever built. Uh, he also ran a bunch of casinos. Now, he ended up going crazy at the end of his life. And uh, after the end of his life, it was written down in the book, Howard Hughes, The Hidden Years. Um, and this is what happened. His company's director of his, casi- of his casinos of Howard Hughes Casinos in Las Vegas, uh, wanted his employees to show respect to the former owners. So he told them on a specific date that they were all to give Howard Hughes a moment of silence for 60 seconds. So for 60 seconds, the casinos had an eerie silence. No sound, no music, no machines, Nothing. The casinos fell silent. Then a pit boss looked at his watch, leaned forward and said, okay, roll the dice. He's had a minute. Now, I wonder if sometimes we treat God the same way. We come in, we interrupt our busy schedules once a week, rush into church to give God his hour or his 30 minutes if you come late. And then forget about him. And get back to what you were doing and go, all right, God's had his hour. Roll the dice. And I think sometimes our attitude towards worship and what that means is is actually how many of us unintentionally live. To know what it is, let's find out what it's not. Now, I had you guys shout out some answers. Um, Well, here's what worship is not. Worship is not a song, a psalm, or a style. It's not about hymns versus contemporary. It's not songs being slow or fast. There's not worship songs slow and then praise songs fast. It's not about singing lyrics or playing music. Those are expressions of worship, but they are not worship. Churches may change worship style, but true worship never changes. So I have here what true worship looks like. True worship looks like this. I'm going to let you think about this for a minute. True worship is not a song, a psalm, or a style, but it's also not a time, a talent, 
or an ability. Worship is not a time on a schedule. It's not the first 20 minutes or 25 minutes of a service. It's not part of an order. It's not something that can be planned necessarily. Some people will say, well, my talent is worship to the Lord. When I play guitar, that is my worship. Or when I work on cars or when I repair somebody's house and I come in and I, I that's worship. Now, we can respond with worship with those things, but they in themselves are not worship. True worship transcends ability. You see, worship is much deeper. So what is worship? Well, the Bible does not necessarily define this is what worship is. In fact, what it says just on the opposite, it gives us a ton of examples of what worship looks like. And it gives us a hint, a picture, a layer picture of what real worship is. If you were to take the word worship, you're going to find this in the Bible. The word worship in the Hebrew and Greek means the exact same thing. It means to lay prostrate, not the other word. This is what to lay prostrate means. It means this. This is what the Bible says is worship. The Bible says that worship is to lie down before or to kneel or to be broken and humbled before. You see, what the the image that worship gives is an image of complete abandonment, humility, and the sense of, of surrender. See, it's, it's no surprise, it's no accident that the longest book in the entire Bible is all about worship. It's the book of songs. It's about worshiping God. Today, I'm going to focus on one story in John chapter 4 that gives us a layered picture, one of the many pictures throughout the scripture of what real worship looks like. You see, Jesus met this woman at a well. Jesus and his disciples were going from Jerusalem, heading back up to Galilee, their homeland, and they were passing through an area that was called Samaria. And Samaria was a place where Jewish people didn't like the Samaritans. Why didn't they like them? Because the Samaritans were this kind of mixed Jewish uh, you know, descendants of Babylonians and Persians and Assyrians. And basically, Jewish people had race issues with Samaritans. They didn't like each other. They didn't hang out with each other. And so when they went to the town of Samaria, where uh, Samaria was, the disciples said, hey, Jesus, hang here outside of town because the Samaritans don't deserve you. And basically, they had Jesus stay out town, outside of town by himself, and they went into town to look for food. So Jesus is in the middle of the day, hanging outside of town at a well when this woman shows up. Now, she wasn't a typical woman. She was an outcast. She was a woman who had multiple husbands, and she had a bad reputation. She goes to the well at the hottest time of the day alone and the slowest part of the day, most likely to avoid people. This was not a typical woman, but she was a Samaritan, and she was a woman, and she had a bad reputation even among her own people. She was outcast. Well, a conversation begins between Jesus and this woman. Jesus asks her simply for a drink of water, and this is how it begins. He says, can I have a drink of water? And in verse 9, she says, the woman, the Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with 
Samaritans. Now Jesus answered, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would give you living water. She gets a little confused and she begins to ask and wonder, who are you? Do you think that you're greater, she says, than Jacob who built this well? And this is what he answers in verse 13. He says, everyone who drinks this water that I'm offering will be thirsty. Uh, I'm sorry, anyone who drinks this water of the well will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water that I give them, the one that I'm offering, will never thirst again. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. He's basically saying, this life will leave you unsatisfied, but I will not. See, that's a major point of change in her way of thinking that she's got to overcome. And you too. Some of you are looking to to a job, a career, an education, a family, your children, a husband, a boyfriend, a girlfriend, whatever. You're looking to so much. You're drawing from the well of this life, of this world. And Jesus is saying, you know what? That stuff will just satisfy you for a while, and then it'll break, and then you'll run out, and then it'll... You'll rack your debt up, you know, and then you'll be broke. Or that person leaves you or whatever the case is, this world will leave you unsatisfied. He says, but what I offer, this living water, you'll never be unsatisfied. So the woman says to him, sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. She's totally missing the point. She's like, whoa, what is this magic serum? What is this magic water? Because I don't want to come to this well anymore. She's like, hmm, sounds good. I'll have some of that. Verse 16, he told her, go call your husband and come back. She says, well, I have no husband. She replied, Jesus said to her, you're right. When you say you have no husband, the fact is you've had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you've said is quite true. She'd be She begins to hear her life being poured out to her by Jesus. Guys, listen, if you are a woman, this is a culture, this ancient culture. If you are a woman, first of all, who's without a husband, you are an outcast. If you are a woman who's had multiple husbands, you are not only an outcast, but you've now become a woman that no man wants. And the men that do pick these kind of women are usually the men that society doesn't want either. So these are men that are on their lowest end, and these are women on their lowest end. And in in this culture, it was was complete destitution in the situation that he's in. And Jesus is like, you know what? I know your life. It's not good. I know your life. It's, It's a challenge. And I know where you're coming from. I know why you're here at this time of day. And I can see into your life, and I know how much pain you're in. And he told her, I know what's going on. In verse 19, she said, sir, I can see that you're a prophet. She goes, man, you're reading my mail. You know, you have got answers. So I have a big question for you. Her question is a question of worship. Because here's where it comes down to it. With everything that's going on in her life, she's trying to figure out, how can I connect with God? How can I know God? How can I know that he loves me and cares for me? And that I'm going to be able to survive this trial, this, this issue. How do I know that God is with me? And so she asks him a question of worship. She says, our ancestors worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews 
claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. She's saying, which one is it? Because her big question, think about this, her biggest question that she has for what she perceives is just a man of God, she didn't realize who he really was, was how can I connect with God? And so here's the question, though. She asked, where should we worship? How should we worship? What methods? What style? What instruments? What songs? How loud? How slow? How fast? What time of day? Uh, where is the right place? She thought, if I could just do it the right way, if I could just get the right method, that she would be okay with God. If there's some sort of formula, then prophet, let me in on it. Like her, many are captive to worship systems, worship styles, worship methods, and worship traditions, and they settle for cheap imitations of the true worship. And this is what Jesus said. He responds with this. He says, woman, by the way, that's not an insult when he says woman. Culturally, it'd be like him saying ma'am. He says, woman, believe me, a time is coming. When you will worship the Father, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. He says, man, it's not about a place, a style, a method. It's not about how fast, how slow, if it's hymns, if it's contemporary. He says, it's not about this place, that place. He says this, you Samaritans worship what you don't know. We worship what we do know for salvation is from the Jews. Now that seems kind of harsh, but basically saying you and your limited understanding of scriptures are way off. Samaritans do, do not even follow the prophets of God in the Old Testament. They only follow the first five books, the Torah. So the rest of the Old Testament, they didn't even believe in. They were blind to a lot of scripture. So he says, there's a lot you just do not understand. And then he says, yes, yet a time is coming, and now it has come. See, there's a significant transitioning that's happening here before her very eyes. Guys, listen, before the arrival of Jesus, worship was a place. Before Jesus walked into the scene, worship was a method. Before Jesus showed up, it was about a temple and a song. But now, with the arrival of Jesus, worship was literally changing completely, 100%, right before her very eyes. He says, yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers, everybody say true worshipers, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. By the way, true worship here implies that there is false worship too. We're going to talk about that in a minute. God is spirit and his worshipers must. This is a necessity. This is not optional. This is an essential. True worshipers must. Everybody say must. Must worship in spirit and in truth. Truth. You see, we're, real worship is not an external matter, but it is an internal matter. See, this very short encounter is one of the many moments where we're, uh, real worship is revealed. So let's take a look at what real worship is, okay? In John 4, 24, he said, his worshipers must worship. Why is this so essential? Why is this so important? Why is it so crucial? Reason number one, what is real worship? It is what we were made for. It's what we were designed for. The very reason that God created Adam and Eve and breathed life into him. It's the very reason why God allowed your parents 
to have a baby. It's the very reason why you breathe air. In fact, our very words, the very breath that we breathe, speak the name of God. The name of God in the ancient Hebrew is Yahweh, which is a transliteration of the pronunciation of Yahweh. Our very breath, the very first words on a baby's lips are the words in the name of God. The very last thing we speak when we pass from this life into the next is the very words of God. Without the very word of God, without the name of God, without God himself breathing his words in our praise in and out of our life, we would cease to exist. In this passage, Jesus says, worshipers must. See, this is crucial that you understand you were designed and made to be a worshiper. Now, unless you are a follower of Jesus Christ and you understand this, life will make no sense to you until you understand what you were designed to be, and that is a worshiper. Some of you are, are, are checking out the church or checking out Jesus. You're still kind of dipping your waters in the, the idea of Christianity. Listen, life will never make sense until you understand that you were designed by the designer to know him and to worship him. See, in this passage, Jesus repeatedly refers to the Father and his design for his children to worship. We are created to worship. It's why we live. It's why we were created. Our very breath speaks his name. When asked what the most important thing in the Bible is, Jesus says this, of all of the Bible, in all of the Bible, Jesus was asked, what's the most important thing that we need to know about the scriptures? And this is what Jesus said. He said, very simple. In Mark chapter 12, verse 30, he says, this is the most important thing. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And the second is love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. See, this is what we were created for, to love God with all of our heart, with all of our life. We're going to unpack that passage in a couple of weeks. So that is a power-packed, like essential Love the Lord with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. It's the reason we are alive. Here's the second reason. Worship is this. Worship is, and I love this one, it is wonder. Like, what, what is worship? It is, it is wonder. See, as Jesus unpacks true worship, he says this, God is spirit. See, what he gives her before he says, before you can understand what worship is, you need to understand how amazingly incredible the one that you worship is. He says, God is spirit. That means he emphasizes God's true attributes and says this, God transcends all that you can see. See, God is spirit. He's not like a man like you and me. He doesn't have flesh and blood. He is spirit. He transcends everything you can imagine or think of what you know. You see, at the heart of worship, worship is a response to the awe of God, to the wonder of his majesty, to the unexplainable attributes of his glory. It's getting into a place where your eyes are open to the massive mystery of who God is. The stars, the universe, the mountain peaks, the ocean depths, they don't even give us a glimpse of who God is because he is bigger than it all. So when we worship, it's in wonder and awe of who he is. Awe meaning the first part of awesome because God is awesome. And our worship is a reflection of the awe of God. 
He says, God is spirit. It transcends everything you understand and know about this life. In Revelation 4, we get a glimpse of the throne of God through John the Apostle. Angels are seen before the throne declaring all day and night. One of my favorite passages, Romans, I'm sorry, Revelation 4, 8, where the angels around the throne are declaring, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And Revelation, it says that they are declaring that 24-7, all night, all day, for all eternity. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And then they look up and they are in awe and wonder of who he is. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And then they look up and they see the glory and wonder and awe of God. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And then they look and they see an amazing aspect of who God is they've never seen before. And holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come for eternity and for eternity and for eternity all day and all night. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And here's what's cool about that verse. In the oldest manuscripts, it says holy nine times, not three. Holy, 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 holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Holy, 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 holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come for eternity. The majesty of his wonder. True worship leaves us in awe. True worship is a response to the wonder of God. Psalm 8 says it beautifully. One of my favorite psalms, it says, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all of the earth. That's the wonder of his creation that we see. And he says, you have set your glory above the heavens. That's the wonder of the universe in which we look out to. He says, out of the mouth of babes and infants, the wonder of the new birth every time we hold a baby. You have established strength because of your foes, still the enemy, and you still the enemy and the avenger, the wonder of God's provision. And when I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you would care for him, the wonder of God's love for mankind? Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with the glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands and you put all things under his feet, all sheep and ox and also the beasts of the air, the birds and the heavens and the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the sea, the wonder of God's trust in his creation. And then he says, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You see, worship gives God what he deserves. Honor. See, the English word for worship is worth it. If you want to look up what Webster says, it's about giving somebody their worth. Guys, listen, there's no person, there is no created thing, there is not a car, there's not a house, there's nothing that's worth it except our, our Father. Our God, we stand in awe of him. He is worthy of the worship. 
He deserves it. Three things. What is worship? It is what we were made for. It is wonder, and I love this one. It is brokenness. You see, she was seeking answers and ready to follow the truth of that answer because she was so broken inside. I think it was because life had walked all over her. She was at the end of her relational rope. She was searching. She was broken. She was ready. Worship is often the deepest, truest, realest worship is often birthed and born out of pain, struggle, and desperation. See, it is in the pain and suffering that we often experience the deepest moments of worship with our Father. When you get that news that just rocks you to the core. When you get that letter, when you get that announcement, when you get that notice. Psalm 51.17 says, My sacrifice, O God, that means my worship, what I'm bringing and laying at your altar, O God, is a broken spirit. A broken and contrite heart, God, you will not despise. Or another translation says, you will not turn away. See, it's humble before the holy God of all. I'm broken. I'm humbled that Jesus would want me, that he would save me, that he would redeem me, that he would heal me, that he would forgive me, that on my knees I'm broken by my life, by my surroundings, by my struggle, by my despair, by, by, depression, uh, by depression, by discouragement. And God, I am broken. Life didn't turn out the way I wanted it to. This woman at the well saying, you know what? Every guy I've ever known doesn't say what happened to him. It says she had five. She was living with one that wasn't her husband. We don't know if these guys left her, abandoned her, walked out on her, if they died on her. We don't know. She was hurting. She was lonely. She was looking for love in all their own places, anybody, anyone that would give her a sense of purpose and direction. And she says, prophet, if you can just tell me how to connect with God, I might just have some sense of what's going on in my life. And he says, you want to know what worship is? You're ripe because true worship, real worship is often born out of brokenness. Here's the fourth one is worship is, is about waiting. It is waiting. In John 4, 21, he says, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship. That means a time is going to come. You're reaching, you're searching, you're seeking. And then he says in verse 23, yet a time is coming and it has now come. She and others like her had been waiting, and even though he was there, there was still more waiting to do. You know what, guys, listen, Jesus has come, but he's coming again, so we got some more waiting to do. And you know what, true worship is understanding that sometimes it's called the wait. True worship is often expressed in our ability just to wait on the Lord, just to wait and see what he has. A powerful aspect of worship is the wait, learning to wait on God and wait and wait, and wait, and wait. Because when we wait, we worship. Why? Because it reflects trust and reliance on the one who is in control. You see, we see this life and know that Jesus has come and still to come. And when we wait on the Lord, we're saying, God, I trust and rely upon you in the midst of this circumstance, in the midst of this issue, and I will wait. And while I wait, I will declare the praises of your glory. Worship is many times a choice. While in the face of pain and discouragement, it's saying, I will declare his majesty and I will wait on him. Some of you, you know, your, your greatest moments of worship have been when you didn't have an answer. When you didn't have 
and get what you expected. When you prayed and thought it was going a certain way and God closed the door. You know, we're in the midst of that right now as a church. We, you know, God, uh, I, we believe was leading us and teaching us and then a door was shut and we believe it's the Lord who is in charge of all that. But you know what? We're back to waiting. And you know what? In that waiting time, I'm not going to shake my fist and be angry. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to just wait on the Lord. I'm going to worship him. You know, this was a series I was going to preach in November, and I thought this is perfect for what we're going through right now because our only response should be worship. It should be waiting on the Lord. So I want to encourage you, whatever you're going through, whatever you're facing, whatever battle is, has knocked you at the knees, declare his majesty in the wait. In the midst of this trial, the writer sings this in Psalm 28, 7. It says, the Lord is my strength and my shield. I trust him with all of my heart. He helps me, and my heart is filled with joy. I will burst out in songs of thanksgiving. In the midst of his pain, he will burst out in songs of joy. You see, the joy of the Lord is our strength. And those times we see true worship becomes spiritual warfare. Because while the enemy attacks and tries to bring us down and discourage us and to cast doubt into our life, worship says, no, 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 enemy, you're a liar. Go to hell where you belong. Enemy, you will not have control over my thought life and over my family. I will worship the Lord. I will declare the praises of God. And even though I don't see it yet, I will wait on the Lord. And our worship, that sense of a surrender and abandonment of laying out before the Lord becomes spiritual war in the heavenlies. And the enemies flee and tremble at the sound of Jesus who we adore. Here's the fifth thing, and that is worship is and has to be authentic. Authentic. See, in verse 23 and 24, it says, The true worshipers, if I say true worshipers, will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. God is spirit and his worshipers worship the Father in the spirit and in truth. Worship is not mustard or manufactured. You can't say, come on, everybody. Come on. Come on. You know, sometimes it's, it's, it's manufactured, and it, and it turns into not about a heart thing, but it turns, it turns into like a flesh thing. It turns into a manipulation of a crowd. Guys, listen, I've been a, a, a pastor for about 25 years. I've been in ministry for 30 years, and I was a worship leader for about 20 years of that, okay? I've been leading worship since I was 15, and I would worship at all the churches I was youth pastor at. And guys, listen, <laughs> nothing makes the worship leader happier than when people are responding. When they're raising their hands or shouting or singing, because there's that sense of affirmation that we got to be doing something right. And so a lot of times the churches will, the pastor will say, come on, everybody, raise your hands. Come on, everybody, talk to me. Say something, you know, or they'll, they'll, they'll get people to, to respond, and it may not even be worship that is motivating them. It may just be the emotional, physical relationship between them and the pastor or them and that song and them in that environment. We don't know because sometimes it is real worship, and sometimes it's just manipulation. It's not authentic at all. Sometimes it's just a response to what the guy up front wants him to do. True worship is done in spirit and in truth. What does that mean? He says it twice in two verses. This is what God is looking for. In the spirit means it is from the inside out. 
It is through the Holy Spirit. It means it is heartfelt. It is authentic. And guys, listen, when it's real, sometimes it's sloppy. Sometimes in the authenticity, it becomes emotional. Only those born of the Spirit can truly worship in the Spirit. The Holy Spirit in us stirs us and ignites us from the inside out. That's why worship is just like this teapot. Let me explain it this way. What do you do with a teapot? You put water in it, right? You put water in it, and then what do you do with it? You put it on a stove top, a burner or something, and you heat it up. Now, you put this water in it for, you know, a variety of reasons, soup or tea or something, but you're desiring hot water. You fill it with water. You put it on the burner. Now, listen to me. Is this kettle water? What you're seeing is not the water. Now, when it starts making noise, oh, I had a good whistle last night. I can't get it now. All right, when it starts to whistle, is that sound water? Is it water? No, it's, it's just the whistle, right? And, and everything about this tea kettle is just a tool or a vessel for the water. Guys, listen, this is why this is like worship. The water is the water of the Holy Spirit. The burner is the power and the presence of God stirring up inside of us. And sometimes we make noise. But that noise we make is not, is not the water. It's not the worship. The kettle is not the worship. The whistle, the sounds that it makes are not worship. It is what comes from the inside that is worship. Guys, listen. A lot of times we confuse worship with the kettle. We look at, we got, oh, it's worship time. Just put the worship on the burner. All right, turn it up. Worship time, right? And then we start making noise. You know, it starts whistling, and we're like, all right, we're worshiping now. We're shouting. We're singing. We're making songs. Man, the guitar. You know, he's, he's got, man, he's got the who down, man. You know, the, the, man, they're, they're rocking out. This is, it's making whistling noise, man. We're worshiping now. But guys, listen, it's not the kettle, it's not the sound, it's not the look, it's not the time, it's what's inside, and when it pours out is when it becomes valuable to those around us. Guys, listen, we cannot confuse worship with style, with music, with method, with a schedule, because worship in spirit and in truth only comes from the inside out. All those other things are just expressions, are just outward expressions of worship. They don't even mean that there's worship either, unless it's unless it's poured out. See, that's what this series, Real Worship, is all about. Is how can we get what God's doing inside of us and get beyond the flash and the sound and the whistle and the music and pour ourselves out and become real worship to a life and to a world and to a culture that needs us. Learning to worship in the Spirit, letting the Spirit of God stir us from the inside. And yeah, we're going to make some noise. But real worship is when it pours out into those around us. Guys, we must worship in spirit and in truth. What is the truth? Well, Philippians 3.3 3 says, I love this. It says, for we are the circumcision. That means those who are circumcised in Christ through the spirit. It's a, it's a heart issue. 
who worship in the spirit or who worship by the spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. It's by the spirit and in truth. In truth, it means that of who he is and what he has done, growing in understanding of who Jesus is and walking in obedience to his word. Listen, the fact that Jesus says that there is true worship implies that there is false worship. You see, to worship in the spirit without the truth turns into worship of false idols and false gods in our life. Even sincere worship can be false. For for example, those that are completely sincere and devoted to Allah or to Buddha or Krishna or Jehovah's Witness deity of Jehovah who's not outlined as Jesus or the Mormons who believe in many deities globally but only worship one. These are all sincere acts of worship, but without the truth, it turns into a worship of false idols. Even Christians can become this type of uh, idolater because when we focus on our feelings, when we focus on the strange manifestations, and when we focus on the aspect of worship being entertainment, where it has to have our, man, when the smoke's rising and the lasers are shooting, man, God shows up. Man, I love worship concerts. We just went to Outcry a couple weeks ago. It's beautiful. Laser lights, you know, you know, you know, smoke. You know, I mean, it was powerful. But you strip it all away, it was still worship. Okay, those were just environment creators. That was not worship. But when we get all caught up in to having to have certain light colors or certain, you know, laser beams or certain, you know, uh, uh, song, you know, something like, I just didn't like the songs today. I just wasn't feeling it. Well, you know, you're worshiping idols. Because if your worship is dependent upon them playing that song a certain speed or a certain way in a certain key or playing the songs that you like, then you're not a worshiper. You worship idols. You worship music. You see, we do it in the church as well. Or when we, you know, I used to grow up in a spirit-filled church, and we didn't call church church. We called church church. And you knew God showed up when when there were manifestations in church. And depending on how long it went, it's how long you knew God was still there. You know, apparently God shows up at like 10 and he leaves at 3 when it's okay to everybody go home. It's like the longer it was, the better. And you know what? They were, they were looking for and, and embracing manifestations and an experience. And sometimes the worship was not in the spirit. It was actually in the flesh. And they were worshiping the idolatry of an experience. You see, God wants us to worship in spirit and in truth. So without the spirit, I mean, uh, without the truth, we worship idols. But if we worship in truth without the spirit, it becomes dead tradition and cold doctrine. You believe all the right things. You say all the right things. Sing the words. You have good theology, but it's heartless and empty. And we have a gazillion churches filled with worshipers who do not worship in the spirit. They stand. They look at their watches. They're like, when's the preacher starting? You see, there's an aspect of the church where some people, they don't even like the worship time. So they avoid it altogether. They just want to get to where they can sit down, be comfortable, and listen to some guy talk while they critique him. And, and so they, they pick apart the theology, the message, the sermon, the stories. And, and you know what you're doing? You might have this idea of theology. You might believe the right things, but you lack the spirit. And you're not a worshiper. You're trapped in cold, dead religion. 
You see, you become like the Jewish leaders that Jesus spoke of in Matthew 15, 8. He was quoting Isaiah 29, 13. He says, this people or these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far away from me. So here's the last thing, and that is real worship. It is always about Jesus. It is always about Jesus. In John 4, 25, after Jesus told this woman about what true worship is, the woman says, I know that the Messiah called Christ is coming. And when he comes, he will explain everything to us. She's like, man, what you're saying, prophet, man of God, sounds good. But one day the Messiah is coming, and he's going he's gonna to fill our hearts with understanding of what it means to worship God. And when he gets here, he'll set us all straight. And this is what Jesus, I love this. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, am he. You can imagine her jaw went, oh, you know. She was shocked. He says, you're looking at him. That one that you're looking for. That, issue, that one who's going to reveal to you the, the plan of your life and the reason why you were born and how to connect with the Father, he's right here. Guys, listen. What you're looking for, the one that you seek, the one who holds the key to understanding worship is right in front of you. His name is Jesus. And when our worship points to him, we are in the right place. But when our, listen to this, when our worship points to us, we rob Jesus of what belongs to him. He is to have the attention and the focus of our worship. When we make worship about ourselves and draw the focus to ourselves, then we are robbing Jesus because worship is to always be about Jesus. You know, uh, as someone who was a worship leader in the band, you know, who's up here now, we have different worship leader friends and stuff. You know what the biggest the biggest challenge of leading worship is being a star in your own mind. Because you get up here, everybody's standing, you know, you're singing songs, you're playing, and people are going, they're shouting, or they clap, and you're like, that's right, that's right, I'm good, I'm good. Man, I I killed those vocals. You know, and all of a sudden... The, the, the people leading in worship become rock stars and, and they're robbing Jesus of what belongs to him and him alone. It's a challenge and it is an ongoing issue of humility and brokenness that true worshipers in a band have to work with all the time and every week. Every week around the globe, worship leaders are standing in front of people Singing and smiling and playing to the best of their ability, hoping they do everything right and good and the people like them. And they're having to die to themselves or they become idols. See, some people, they're like, I know some churches are like, well, I'm not, you know, my favorite worship person's not up there today, so I'm not going to worship. Or we judge the worship experience based upon if the notes were all right and if the chords were all on, you know, That's not in spirit and in truth because it's all about Jesus. John 4, 23 says, True worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. It's the last thing I want you to know. We're going to pray is that God is not seeking worship. He is seeking worshipers. God's not up there going, come on, give it to me. I'm good. I'm so good. Man, look around. You see all that? Isn't that pretty cool? I did that. I did that. See the stars? Yeah, that's me. 
You like that? You like that lake? You like catching fish? <laughs> I made them in that lake. Well, that was my design. You like skiing? You like the mountains? Hey, you know what? I did that. That was all mine. That baby you're holding? <laughs> Cute, isn't it? I did that. You know, God's not going, come on, give it to me. Come on. No, no, please stop. No, please. Come on. God is not up there going, I wish people would acknowledge who I am. He's not seeking worship. He's not an arrogant God who thrives and grows and gets some sort of self-esteem boost because you decide to finally acknowledge the creator. You know what he's looking for? Not your worship. He doesn't want your worship. He wants the worshiper. And he knows he's got a true worshiper by if you worship in spirit and in truth. He's seeking these kinds of worshipers. This goes back to the very core of why we were created. God is actively looking. He is not looking for a song. He is not looking for a lyric or a killer riff. He's not looking for how well you can build a patio or fix a car in his name. He is looking for a humble and willing heart. All those other things are just expressions of the fire of God that is being poured out of you. Sometimes it makes some noise and fixes a car and Sometimes it it does many different things, and we're going to talk about that over the course of the next couple of weeks of what worship, when it's poured out, looks like. It all begins by humbly coming to Jesus and submitting to his lordship. So I want to end with this. Where are you today? Like that woman at the well, are you spent? Have you been looking for love in all the wrong places? Are you at the well, alone, tired? Jesus says, I've got something that will fill your life and you will never be empty again. And when you get it, you understand what you were created for and designed for, to worship. So Jesus is here inviting you to discover the awe of his love, to come humbly and receive his grace and worship. I'm going to pray for you. Father, thank you, God, that we are here this morning and God, I thank you, Lord, that we get to sing songs and we get to, we get to make noise and, God, we get to play instruments and, God, I thank you, Lord, that we get to lift up our voices. God, I'm thankful for the beauty of a good song and a beautiful voice. God, I'm thankful that we, we do have that ability through the Spirit of God in us to express ourselves emotionally. God, how beautiful is that? But, God, I pray that we would not confuse any of these things with what real worship is And that is a humble and broken heart before the Lord who understands the awe and wonder of who you are. God, it begins with humbly acknowledging your lordship in our life. So if there's anybody here right now, you'd say, you know what? That's me. I, I, I feel like the woman at the well. I feel exhausted. I feel tired. I feel walked on. I feel, you know, like I've just tried and tried and tried and everything seems to just be falling apart. 
that I'm, you're standing at the well with Jesus right now, folks. You're, you're standing there at the well with Jesus, and he's saying, I've got something that will leave you fulfilled and satisfied in this life, and nothing in this world can give it to you but me. That's Jesus saying to you, come to me, and you will find healing and hope and rest and restoration and a sense of purpose in who you are. So if you're sitting here right now and you're saying, you know what, that's me. I need that understanding of who I was created to be and why I was designed and I want to know him right now. I want, to, I, want to, I want to invite the living water into my life. Then I want to pray for you right now. That's all. Uh, just, just go before the Lord and ask God, where, where are you with him right now? And if you would like to invite the living water into your life, then just pray something like this. In your own words, just say, Jesus, here I am. Go ahead. In your own words, Jesus, here I am. Here's my life. Here's everything that I have done in life that has failed. And here's everything in my life that I've done that has been a success. God, fill me with your living water. Wash me clean, dear Jesus. Wash me clean. Fill me with your spirit, I pray. Forgive me of my sin. how to worship. Now heads bowed. Some of you who are Christians here, you need to go before the Lord and ask God to forgive you because you have turned things that are not worship into worship. Now just talk to him. Father, forgive me of confusing my actions or my words or a song or my attitude. God, I will worship in my brokenness. I will wait on you. I'm in awe of who you are. God, it will not depend upon a song or a person singing or certain instruments or certain lights or, God, I won't depend on if everything's going well at home or not. God, I will worship because I understand who you are and I understand what I was designed to be and what I was designed to do, and I will do that because I, God, want to be the kind of person that you seek in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to the Living Way Church podcast. If you enjoyed this message, we hope you come visit us in Garland, Texas. For directions and more information about the church, go to www.livingwaychurch.cc.